0: Hello and welcome to the Praise Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, visit PrayCenterOnline.com. About a third of the teachings of Jesus come in the form of these stories, and, and they're all about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, which are essentially synonymous. Uh, but the key to really knowing Jesus, being uh, growing in faith, living in the kingdom, uh, we, they, we're going to find those things in, this, in these parables. Think questions that might come to our minds like this, like, how do I get a fresh start? Uh, what's the secret to a stronger prayer life? How does God see me? How can I grow more in my joy in my life? What do I do in troubled times? How can I forget? Give someone. How can I love my neighbor well? How can I make the most of what we've got? And, you know, you have a lot of questions. I've had a lot of questions in my life, and I do still. But Jesus has stories to answer those questions. He really does. And those answers will help us live on purpose, I believe, in Jesus' name. So our first parable is really a two-for-one in only three verses. It's amazing. Uh, So we're going to look at it now. Matthew 13, 44 through 46. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. My title today is Worth It. Worth it. And for the next several minutes, I want to talk to you about the idea of value in the kingdom of God, what that's all about. Let's pray. God, thank you for your presence. Thank you for your spirit, just for the worship and the time we've already had together. As I've already prayed several times and I'm adding to it again, Lord, open our minds to what you want to say to us today. I pray in Jesus' name. Help me to speak the words uh, Lord, not only that you've given me, but things that will come by the Spirit in a prophetic sense as we go through this uh, today and in the weeks to come. Thank you for this great church, this uh, God, this great church family. I pray blessings on every single person here in the mighty name of Jesus amen amen Amen. all right so no no background that's okay we can do it without right on uh have you ever been on a cruise before how many have ever gone on a cruise okay I realize a cruise may not be some people's cup of tea, I get that, um, but I really like it. I didn't know I liked it, but until uh, 2005, Ron and I, were as part of our district, our district had saved up a bunch of money and wanted to do something really special, never done anything before like this or after, but they invited us all to go on a cruise along the west coast of Mexico, and they were going to pay our way, and so you can't say no to that right? So I was very, that was very exciting, and uh, that was fun for us. And so what we did is uh, we thought about it, but we also realized that that year was a year we were going to take a trip with our kids, a big trip. And so uh, we wanted to think, we wanted to do something with our kids, too. And so we asked, would it be possible if our kids got to come with us? And uh, they said, yeah, absolutely. Um, but of course, you'll have to pay for them. Like, oh, yeah, of course. So, so then we got into this, and we started thinking about it And we looked and uh, as we looked at airfare for each of our three boys and then we looked at the cost of the cruise and then there were a couple of excursions we went on, including some zip lining that was quite exciting and a whole bunch of stuff. And anyway, after it was all said and done, the total amount we had to come up with just for our kids to be able to go was well over uh, $3,000. It was a lot. I don't know about you, but that is a ton of money to us. That is so much money. And it kind of like, you know, just tweaks you out when you realize the cost that it's going to be. But, but, and so we, we all have decisions like that to make in life and, and, you know, wisdom sometimes prevails, I guess, in the sense that maybe you know you absolutely don't have the money. And in our case, we, we had the money, we hadn't really earmarked it for that, but we decided to go ahead and make that. We felt like that expenditure would be worth it. So after we got on the ship and got going, I realized something wonderful. I really did. So I'm not, I'm not being paid by any cruise lines at this moment, I just want to tell you. But I realized something wonderful. In the past, I had always been, in our family, the person who, uh, you know, not that Rhonda and I wouldn't plan together the trip, but when it really came down to it, if there were hotel stays, I made the reservations. If there were distances that had to be traveled, I had to think through how many hours that is. Can we withstand three boys in a car pinching each other, you know, all the way there? And, uh, how, you know, uh, where will we stop and take care of that? I had to talk, think through about what time of day we'd be in certain places so we could get food. Well, we, where are we going to go to lunch? There were at least four opinions always in the car. I never cared because it was sort of like, you know, at that point, just I just want to eat. You know, Just don't, don't mess with me. I mean, it was like a lot of things went into it. And, and to be honest with you, when I got done with vacation, I would come to work to have a vacation from my vacation. Right? Seriously, that, you can, can anybody relate to what I'm talking about? Okay, so, you know, sometimes there's so much that goes into it. And not that those experiences aren't worth it, but it's just really rough. But here's what happened on the cruise, is, is someone else is doing all the driving, you see what i'm saying i don 't have to figure out where we 're going, what the time schedule is i don 't have to worry about that and every meal was provided for and and cooked and and really, really delicious. Most of the meals were like buffet style and things like that and so it didn't matter that this person wanted a hamburger, this person wants a taco this person it doesn 't matter because you can get whatever you want basically on the cruise and it was good it was really really good food and then sometimes we'd have the sit down meal at dinner, and the worst decision I had to make on my entire trip was Are you going to have steak or are you going to have lobster? (laughs) Exactly. Good answer. I'll have both, thank you very much, because they, they don't care. They'll give you as much as you want that you can eat. And then, you know, you, you just eat. You always gain, like, at least five pounds on one of those things. It's crazy. And it, it was so much fun. And, and then, then even, even, like, the excursions we took and stuff, a lot of that was arranged by the crew, so you didn't really have to think much. You just kind of followed the crowd, you know, and went on your life. It was great. It was fantastic. To top it all off, Rhonda had access to soft-serve ice cream 24-7. I mean, there was so much happiness in our family. (laughs) And so, so, you know, for me, it was a lot of money. But if you ask me when it was done, was that worth it? Yeah, it was worth it. I'd do it again, and I have a few times. It's really, really fun. Typically, when we look at these two parables, uh, we think of them as having the same thought. And I think that's correct. I really do. I think they're really saying the same things, looking at it slightly differently. But, 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 uh, and the thought is this, that the kingdom... Or maybe better yet, the king of the kingdom is worth whatever it takes for us to obtain him. Right? Or whatever it takes to get into the kingdom, whatever it takes to get Jesus, he's worth so much that once we discover him, we willingly would give up everything to have him. Do you agree that Jesus is worth it today? Do you agree? See, that's a true and a, a beautiful thought, and I, I love that. And, and you know, earlier I prayed that we would, I got to tell you, this message is to me one of the, I, I like this message I'm about to preach to you today. I really like it. I feel so strongly about that, and I just keep, keep coming to this thing, God, please let what you just put in my heart in this last, and I've been thinking about this for weeks, but this last week especially, it's just been hitting me to where tears welling up in my eyes when I think about it. And I just pray that, that, again, God seal this into our hearts today. See, see, and so I'm about to hit something that might sound a little hard or it might be a little tough to swallow, but hang in there with me because we're going someplace with this. Um, so sometimes I think we soft-pedal the gospel just a little bit. Uh, that may sound weird, but, but what we do is we emphasize that, that salvation is free, Right? You understand that it's absolutely free it is a gift and that is so true and but i have said this many times that salvation is free but it will cost you your life have you ever heard me say that before yeah so how does that work see this is not some bait and switch move by god he's not pulling a fast one on us here's a free gift but you know it's kind of like when we were offering hot dogs to people yesterday You, you could see the skepticism in their eyes what are you trying to sell me what are you trying to give me, right? What are you trying to put on me? And, and, and people would even ask us, what's this all about? You know, almost mad at us. Like, no, it's, we're just giving away hot dogs. It's not a big deal. And if they pressed a little further, we'd say, yeah, it's our church. We're just having a family fun day, and we just want to share with others. And it's like, oh, okay, what church is that? It kind of opened the door, you see. But, but there's that skepticism. And so we think we may be programmed a little bit to think that way. So so uh, So God... There's nothing, again, it's not bait and switch. There's nothing you or I could ever do to earn or deserve salvation. We get that. And God is holy. He is completely holy, meaning completely set apart, completely different than us. And, and so, so even on our best behavior, we all understand that we fall miserably short. We just, no way. There's no clue. No way we have a chance. If he did not freely offer us a relationship with him by the blood of Jesus Christ shed on our behalf, we would find ourselves in a completely hopeless state. Do you agree with that statement? All right. Uh, Ryan, I need you to check. We just picked up a buzz. Can you just mute everything else besides me? Beautiful. All right. So, uh, okay, so, so here's, here's the thing. Mind you, it isn't that, that uh, he doesn't love everybody on this planet. As I say all this, I want you to understand something. He loves each and every person on this planet. So much so that he gave his only son as a sacrifice for them, for us. So here here we go again. Salvation is offered free of charge. We accept the gift of life. We accept the gift of Jesus Christ. Now that we've done that, in response to what we've been given, we willingly choose to give up everything to him and for him. Does that make sense? So that's how it works. It's like you don't have to come. You don't have to come with something up front. But once you receive that gift, there is the cost that comes after that, and uh, and so much so that we're encouraged to count the cost. Correct? Okay. So, so we we got to kind of wrap our minds around that whole idea. We, we willingly choose to give everything to him. And we call him Lord because he is Lord over our lives. Lord means master. It means owner. As a believer, we cannot say to God, you're not the boss of me. <laughs> In fact, to the contrary, we must say, you are the boss of me. Will you, let's say it right now aloud together. Go. You are the boss of me. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> I need that. I want that. Just, just this last week, I heard on the radio, uh, I just have to say, um, I've got to be careful here, okay, political correctness has gone amok. This isn't what I was about to say. I just heard yesterday on the radio that somebody who is a journalist wrote an article, a well-known person, and encouraged people to never again wear red hats, fill in the blanks here, all right? Because it creates confusion, because there are some people that wear red hats like President Trump has had a red hat, and so they're saying, if you wear a red hat, it could be misconstrued, it's offensive, it's a trigger for me. Is that like, we've got to get a hold of stuff like this, this is crazy. I mean, I want to be sensitive to people, and I'm not making a political statement here about, about a president, I'm just saying, red hats are off the table now? What are the Cincinnati Reds fans supposed to do? Right? So, so it gets crazy. But along that line, and you're going to think this is nuts, but this is I heard this reported this week on the radio that the word owner was now becoming politically incorrect. There's a concern that black people who identify with the suffering of slavery in early America will be offended by the word, and therefore it should not be used. First of all, I in no way want to downplay the immoral nature of much of what went on in slavery in the past. I don't. And, and however, here's a problem, when we begin to knee-jerk react to a word like owner, we, we, uh, we lose the preciousness of the understanding of the kind of relationship we really have with God. We do, and it's important that we, we understand that. When we read the Bible's especially the Old Testament, but there's New Testament verses as well. We read about slaves that were owned by people of those times. And not all of this was good, obviously, but some of it, and some of it was as bad or worse than what went on here in America uh, around 200 years ago. But in that ancient culture, part of this idea of slavery was, was included a plan for people who were so poor, they were going to starve to death. And so what they could do is sell themselves into slavery... And then they knew their needs for themselves and their families would be met. So this was, you, you know, they obviously did not have welfare. They did not have things like that in the past. So this was a way that people could provide for themselves and their families to stay alive. And that's, that's in, important to understand. And I'm not saying that's all that it was about. But in fact, in the Old Testament, the word uh, slave might better be translated servant. Slavery in the Bible is not the same as slavery of modern times. And by the way, there's still slavery in the world today. I hope we all understand that. It's taken all kinds of different forms, but it's out there. But in the Old Testament, the period of slavery was limited to six years. Slaves had rights and protections under the law. It was possible for slaves to attain, attain positions of power and honor. In addition, the people under the king were called his servants, as well as his officers, officials, ambassadors. These are, think about you know, people like the, the, the three Hebrew children, Daniel, brought into slavery, and yet they had positions of power in the kingdom of Babylon. Think about uh, Joseph in the Old Testament as a slave, but, but brought into positions of power and authority as a slave and influence. So, so there's more going on here that meets the eye when we use the word servant or slave and so uh, but this is, it was also considered a humble way to introduce yourself to someone when you defer to them of superior rank and you say your humble servant you know you introduce yourself that way even though you didn't serve them as a slave I, I, it wouldn't be bad to bring that back if we would just talk to each other that way and defer to one another in love as man you know, I'm your servant what can I do for you what can I do for you uh, you know, the term is also applied to those who worship God. They're the servants of the Lord. Come bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord. So there's, there's that. There's, there's uh, those who minister or serve Him. There's the phrase, the servant of the Lord. Listen to this. The phrase, the servant of the Lord, with the, uh, the, the article in front of it, the, refers to none other than Jesus Christ Himself. He was called the servant of the Lord. So, so let's wrap our minds around a new idea of what it means to be a servant of God and understand that. In the New Testament, we even read that Sarah, referring back to Sarah of the Old Testament, that she would call her own husband master. I've tried to institute that in my own home, and I've got a little bit of pushback, so pray for Rhonda. Tongue removed from cheek. But here's the deal. If we lose the concept of God is owner, he is Lord, we've lost a great understanding of what salvation is really all about. We really have. Catherine Booth who is a co-founder of the Salvation Army. I've got her quote here. if it's on the screen, I hope. But it says, A salvation that does not lead to service is no salvation at all. Come on, let that sink in. See, now, notice it's not front-loaded with service. It's back-loaded with service. A salvation that does not lead to service, it leads to it, is not a real salvation at all we by our own choice recognize our poverty spiritually and submit ourselves to God as his servants it's not a demeaning place whatsoever but a place of protection a provision and a place of family and it's good it's so good so here we are we've been bought by the Lord right We've been bought by him. We, we, two years ago, we bought a newer car for Rhonda. It wasn't brand new, but it was a, a fairly new car, and uh, one that she picked out. We went down and looked at it. We liked it. We negotiated. We bought the car. Wouldn't it be weird if we went and bought this car for her, brought it home, parked it in the garage, and never touched it again? Now, not to, notwithstanding the fact that some people buy things like that, set them aside for uh, the idea that it will build in value, I understand that, but there's still a purpose behind the purchase, correct? Right. So, so it's weird to think that we would buy a car for Rhonda and never use it. The bottom line is when we purchase something, it's because we find value in it for its purpose to the owner, right? It's worth it to us to spend that kind of money on a vehicle because the owner of that vehicle gets to use it for the purpose they want it for. You see where I'm kind of going with this? Is you starting to track with me? In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul's talking about sexual purity specifically, but there's a bigger truth all wrapped up in this. He says, you are not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Now, even though the context is the sexual purity, that that regards everything in our lives. Honor God with your body. Don't pollute the temple of the Holy Spirit. Don't destroy the temple Use it for the kingdom work and for the kingdom's sake. See, you are worth it to God, not as a trophy to sit on a shelf, but as a member of his team, if you will, okay? Not as a vehicle to hide in the garage, but as a vehicle to, to help bring the message of the gospel to the world. And so when you see all of this, you understand it's right and it's good for us to refer to ourselves as servants of God. Even so, if you understand the love and the desire of God, who doesn't call us slaves or servants, listen to this. This is important. We call ourselves his servants. Paul used the term bondslave of the Lord. Good term. Not in the newer translations, the older translations. But servant of the Lord. I'm a servant of the Lord. I refer to myself that way, but do you know how, what he calls me? He calls me his friend. He calls you his friend. Now, I used to be nervous about that song where we used to say, uh, I'm a friend of God, I'm a friend of God. Um, thankfully, at the end of it, they put, he calls me friend. I don't think we should think of God as our buddy in that sense. You with me? Like, <laughs> that's, because uh, I, I think we need to understand he is in charge. He is boss. He's Lord. Not that we can't be close to him. Not that we can't just jump right up in his lap spiritually. You understand what I'm saying? But, but let him call us friend, but I'll call myself a servant of the Lord. You're catching the difference in my heart. Maybe it's just semantics. Maybe for you it doesn't mean the same thing, but it worries me to be uh, a little too uh, glib with God, if you will. Okay? 1 Corinthians 7 says, The one who is free when called is Christ's slave. Got it? You were bought at a price. Now we're beginning to understand why, you know, as we freely submit to Him as owner, serving Him is worth it, isn't it? It's worth it. 1 Peter 1, 18-19, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed, purchased from an empty way of life, handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ. What is so special about you and me that God would be willing to pay such an awful price, such an amazing high cost? Well, to find the answer to that, we've got to go back to the beginning. You see, before our text today about this treasure that's in a field, you wondered if I'd forgotten about my text, hadn't you? There's a treasure in a field. There's a pearl of great price. There's, there's these treasures that are out there. And what's so special about us that we, that, that we would be worth it to God? And to find that, we have to go back to the beginning because just before our text today, Matthew is explaining about the parables. In a previous verse in Matthew 13 on the screen, 34, Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. And here's why. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So what was fulfilled was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things in here it is, hidden since the creation of the world. If parables are about things hidden since the creation of the world, we're going to have to go back to the beginning to understand them. We read in Genesis 1:26 that God created humans in His image. When we were created, you know, He said it was very good. First five days, this is good, this is good, this, is good, this is good, it's good, it's good. <gasps> humans, it's very good. That was the pinnacle, that was it. You're the most important thing God created in the entire universe. Don't let the devil or the world or anybody lie to you and tell you otherwise. You're the most important thing that God ever created. But but when he says good, the word good can be translated precious, valuable, excellent, and pleasing. This is how God saw you and me before we were ever created. As, As soon as he saw us, he goes, that's it. That's what I was after. It's very good. You see, see, in our world, we tend to place value on others on what they have done for us. We, we tend to slip into self-value based on how others feel about us. True? Right? Don't we? Come on. Am I talking real stuff here? But here, I want you to hear again that God has placed a value on you and me even before we were created. Before we ever had a chance to do anything whatsoever, He valued us that much. God says we're valuable, and that value comes from the fact, listen, that we are created in His image. The value of a $100 bill is based, not based on where it's been. It's not determined by its age or its shape or its color. Right? Basically, a $1 bill and a $100 bill are the same size and color. True? So if you're just going by shape, size, color, no difference. So how do we know what each of them is worth? One has a picture of the first president. That seems kind of important. George Washington, you'd think, wow, maybe that should be the one we should choose. The other has a picture of Ben Franklin. Smart guy. Said a lot of cool stuff. Invented ta- day- daylight savings time, so that's a downer on him. So, what are we going to do? But let me ask you something would you rather have a Ben or a George? Oh, so you'd rather have a Ben. So how do you determine worth? Well, it's by the image that it bears. Okay? You, you need to know whose image you bear today. You need to know that you are someone that bears the image of Christ. And whether things are good or, or bad in your life right now, whether you are happy or you're sad, doesn't affect or reflect on the fact that you are created in the image of God. And because you bear his image, you have incredible worth to God. Incredible worth to God. I don't know if I'll say this quite right, but I think we all have a a bit, maybe this is too strong of a word, a little bit of self-hatred maybe. That's the word I'm concerned about. But at least guilt and shame based on things we've done, or maybe even attributes about ourselves that we don't like. Fair statement? Okay. We might look at our talents and think, man, I wish I could sing like, I wish I could play like that person does. If I could only do that. We might look at the success of others and think, you know, if I only have the chances that they had in life. I, there's all kinds of things we can start comparing ourselves to others. And I could go on and on with examples, but, but, but all of these keep speaking to our failure, don't they? They all speak to the, that we don't see ourselves as valuable to some degree or the other. And we seem we might even go as far as to say that we feel worthless. Okay? So we start to entertain the thought that God didn't know what He was doing. Don't we? I mean, I've done it in my life. Did He know what He was doing when He created me? Why am I like this? Why am I not like that? And of course... When that little thought comes in, doesn't the devil love to come along at that moment when you've been, when you've, a, you know, a little thought like that's coming to your head and then he wants to just pile on like all oh, those guilt and shame and he, all he wants to do, all the devil wants to do is devalue you further and further and further to take you down as many notches as he can. Worship team, come on back up. So what... Are you and I really worth? Well, Revelation 5.9, at the end of all things, all creation is singing, the angels are singing, and they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. Woo! Hey, if you've got prejudice, you're going to have to get over it because everybody's going to be there. Just get over it. Come on. But, but here's... I don't know if you realize what I've done to you, but I've, I've turned this whole thing upside down already on you. I, I, we've come full circle in this message. You see, those who bear the image of God are worth everything to God who gave the most precious gift and most precious thing He could give. His own blood to purchase you. Listen to me. Listen to me. If you haven't heard anything else today, you need to hear this. Here is the twist to the parable. Jesus is the man who dug in the dirt and found the treasure. Jesus is the man who went into the marketplace and saw the pearl and said, I'll give everything for that pearl. I will give everything. He found the treasure, which is you, Buried in the muck and filth of this life, he gave everything he had, his very life, to purchase you. He, he found the pearl which is soiled and stained by the world. He gave up heaven, he gave his life, he shed his blood to purchase you and me for himself. He cleaned us up, he purified us, and he puts us on display of the world as having untold value. Here's my child, look at this. Isn't this beautiful? The pearl of great price. You see, Jesus is the one that is searching for us. We are not looking for Him. He came to seek and save the lost, didn't he? he? Listen, He is the shepherd who leaves the 99 and goes after the one lost sheep. He is the woman who cleans the whole house and finds the one coin that is missing. He is the father on the porch looking continually down the road, waiting for that lost son or daughter to come home. You are worth it today. No matter what anyone else may say about you, no matter what you thought about yourself, God has found a treasure in you. You think, well, or you may say, well, Pastor Sal, you don't know, you don't know what I've done. You don't, you don't know how I've sinned. Can I ask you a question as you think about that? Is there any difference in value between a crisp, clean $100 bill or a crumpled priest, and filthy one you found in the dirt? (laughs) Do you see it today? Jesus is digging in the dirt for us. He knows what we've done. He knows where we've been. He knows what we've been used for. And He still gives everything up for every single person here today and every person out there as well. Even the pearl, look at this, think about this, in its origin was an irritating piece of sand. Some more irritating than others. (laughs) What does God do? Like the oyster, He keeps wrapping us in His love over and over and over until we shine and we gleam with great beauty even through pain that we have experienced, we've been made lovely by God. Hear me again. You are worth it to Him. You are worth it to God today. So worth it. And our response, listen, so now we respond to this incredible love and the value that He sees in us, and our response of being valued is to willingly say to Him, it is worth it. If it is worth it, uh, or excuse me, it is worth it for me to do whatever you tell me to do. Does that make sense, the connection I'm making there? You see, because that's what I'm talking about today. That's what I call living on purpose. Once you understand the value you have, you understand, well, obviously, God purchased me for something. God was up to something when He purchased me. He doesn't want me to sit in that garage. Right? He wants me to get to work because He sees great value in me. And some of you have, been, have succumbed to years of lies that the devil has been saying to you, and you need to respond to God today and say, no more, no more. Am I going to listen to the devil devaluing me? I am a beautiful, wonderful, valuable child of God today. Oh, come on, church. See, you got to get this. So I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. There still might be some questions. There might be some questions that you'd have about how to handle the regrets and the disappointments of life. And, and Jesus actually told a story about that. Well, we're going to talk about that next week. But right now, I want to pray for you. I want you to pray for me. And I want to just go to the Lord with the thoughts He's planted in our hearts today. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Praise Center's Sermon of the Week. Don't forget, for more information, visit PrayCenterOnline.com.